This summer, your local movie theater transforms into a tent revival for sharing Jesus. Join Believers Nationwide for the Million Souls Campaign, inviting unsaved loved ones to experience The Firing Squad, a new evangelistic movie starring Kevin Sorbo and Cuba Gooding Jr. Witness the true story that made worldwide headlines, American prisoners discovering faith in Christ while awaiting execution for their crimes in a third world country, transforming their lives and the entire prison in the process. After the movie and before the credits roll, Kevin Sorbo will come on the screen to lead the entire theater in a prayer to commit one's life to Jesus Christ. Visit FiringSquadFilm.com and learn how to get free tickets and more for your unsaved loved ones and become part of this unique event. Bring friends, family, and your faith. Learn more at FiringSquadFilm.com. That's FiringSquadFilm.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today, Glenn has a couple of ideas about how society could go from here. Uh, they're not necessarily all positive, which is going to surprise you, I know. Um, but uh, he gives these three scenarios, lays them out. They're pretty interesting. And, you know, there's a lot uh, here. So you need to uh, dive into that one. It's it's pretty interesting and hopefully won't ruin your weekend entirely. Bruce Feiler joins us. Um, you know, there's been a lot of... Uh, times here that we've had difficult situations to deal with over the past few months. He's got a great uh, book about changing the way we look at those negative events. Uh, it's called Life is uh, is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age. Uh, it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty helpful thing to see uh, and hear about right now. And Maximo Alvarez is a guy who's a Cuban immigrant and is warning that, look, we've seen this before. We do not want to go down this road. He's in America now. He was just seen. He was just uh, with the president, and uh, he uh, is trying to outline and warn what's coming up. And we get into a little bit of a white fragility talk. Uh, are we fragile as white people? Uh, if you happen to be a white person, you might be incredibly fragile. We'll tell you how fragile you are. I'm going to do that on Stu Does America tonight. Stu Does White Fragility. You can always get that on YouTube just by searching for Stu, and I'll be the first channel there. Uh, also, uh, you can get it on blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code SAVETHEFAMILY. You'll save 20 bucks off. You can also get Glenn's special show today for subscribers only. It's going to be uh, great as well as he kind of looks into the 1984 uh, vision of America that you really want to avoid if it's at all possible. And don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast and Stu Does America as well. All available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars. The appropriate amount of stars. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Yesterday, by the way, welcome to my good friend Pat Gray, who is uh, who has always been one of my uh, trusted counselors, uh, and as is Stu Brigier. Um, his real name is Steve, but nobody calls him that because he didn't speak up. You see what happens when you don't speak up? <laughs> yeah, this happens to you. Mm-hmm. Me, I happen. Yeah, you turn into Stu. <laughs> All right. So as I see this. There are three options on how this on how this ends. One, because I've game I, I have war game this. You guys know this. I have war game this for almost twenty years now, 
And, uh, you know, I've said, we're going to miss the exits. We're going to miss the exits. And then there you are. Bridge is out. And it kind of feels that way. But there is one more exit. There is one more exit. And here it is. Um, uh, that we find a group of Americans that are so Martin Luther King-ish that they just, they're willing to stand peacefully through anything. I mean, take a crowbar to the head and they're willing to, we can get them all together and we can find a couple of leaders like a Martin Luther King or a Gandhi and we can all rally around these people and, and put together a, a well-coordinated and well-financed uh, movement. You know, because Martin Luther King was also very well financed, uh, and and then we can we can, you know, we we can stand against Black Lives Matter, which is this just ragtag band of 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 people uh, that currently have one point six billion dollars at their disposal. So we can do that, and we can march right into the gates of hell, and everybody, the press will be there, and they will be. Witness to good versus evil, and it will be on the screen side by side, and people will go, "I like those people more than those people," and that's 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 the way to change things, and that we we all of a sudden stop being the people that Americans have seemed to turn into, uh, and we actually start taking our God and our covenant seriously, and we kind of go back to. Not being the whore of the earth. I, I, I just got to speak think? up here and say that one sounds hard. Uh, it mm-hmm. sounds like a lot now of work. I, yeah. And that I one sounds hard. Mm-hmm. I don't think that one's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It would be good, though, wouldn't it? That would be great. Like, if we were I, the people of the 1960s, mm-hmm. you know, where we still had churches and, you know, people were speaking up at the pulpit and, you know, we had the Constitution in, you know, in common and a love for our country in common. That one could have happened. That one would be nice. And I still think we try that one. Eh, I don't think it's going to happen, but I still think we try that one. <laughs> now, the other one is we just kind of keep doing what we're doing. And then the Marxist and the deep state take over and uh, and we lose the country, you know, probably in the next four years. Uh, and America, as we know, it is is over. Uh, and then the singularity comes and we're already slaves. But some people um, get little chips. And so they become super, super powerful and super, super smart. And uh, there's no way to compete with them. So our children and our grandchildren are forever slaves to a really dark system. (laughs) Okay. Now, I think that's a possibility, too. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a bad one. Mm -hmm. You know, we become worse than the Nazis because of our technology. uh, And we just end all freedom on the end. And America just becomes this dark, dark place. And all man's freedom is lost, and possibly forever. <laughs> oh, that's it, though. That's there's nothing worse than that that could happen. <laughs> no, I think that's okay. I mean, you give me some time, but I think that's I think that's the dark end of the scenarios. Okay, Do, don't you think? So yeah, so I have the title of the first one as "Big Group of MLKs Randomly Emerge." 
And then the second right. one, slaves right. to... Well, we have Nazi- to find them. Right. Well, yeah, sure. And then uh, yeah. slaves yeah, 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 to yeah. a Nazi system, but darker <laughs> as the second possibility. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Right. Now, let me ask you. Let me ask you, which one do you think has a better chance out of those scenarios of happening? Well, I thought there was a third scenario, so let's... <laughs> well, uh, there is, but I'm just saying, out of those two scenarios, Pat, number two. which one it's do you think... number two. Number no, two, right? No doubt in my mind. Two. Right? Mm-hmm. Right, it's mm-hmm. just no doubt in my mind. I mean, it would be really nice, but this thing is so well-coordinated and so freaking evil yep. uh, and so well-financed that there's no way out. You know, I hate to be a pessimist and I'm not. I actually believe in the first one. No, I actually mm. I want to do the first one. But I think we all somewhere inside, we all go, yeah, that number two scenario that could happen. <laughs> you know, if I would have said this to you, if I would have said this to you six years ago, I, I wouldn't have said it because it, it wouldn't have seemed possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Six years ago, I say, yeah, and we turn into a dark Nazi state. I think we all go, that's not going to happen. Today, I think everybody within the sound of my voice, even if they say that's not going to happen, they're like, what? There's maybe a possibility. Well, yeah, because a lot of it has already so, happened. So <laughs> you could transform right, the rest right. of it by this afternoon. <laughs> right. It's only going to get faster yeah. from here, right? Yes. Well, I think we're all clear. Okay. All right. Now. I thought of this third scenario yesterday, Hmm. and I thought, wait a minute, hold it just a second. This one, I think, has a better chance of working and happening. So here, let me play out the third scenario. Here, this is going to be fun. Yeah, no, this is no, this is a good one. This is a good one, and I think there's a real chance this one happens. Um, at least this is the one that we should hope for. You know, we should be working towards. I think. So uh, here's the scenario: we all start working on the Martin Luther King thing, but someplace inside of us, we all know that ain't going to happen. But we actually try to do it, um, and in the course of doing that, a small number of us really change. You know, a small number. It's not going to be a lot of people because, you know, Christians and all of that nonsense is going to be just uh, more and more laughed at Wait, uh, as the time goes on. So it's not going to be hmm? Christians and all of that nonsense. Did you care to clarify that one a little bit? Yeah, it's okay. all going to be. Yeah, no, it's all going to be, you know, deemed hooey soon oh, okay. by scientists okay. and those in the know. Uh, and so uh, there is. So it's not going to be popular. And it's not necessarily going to be fun, but we'll change and it'll be really good. It'll be really good. Um, and then the, you know, the country is overthrown by the, you know, dark forces uh, of Marxism and, and death and evil. And we lose the country as we know it by, let's say, 2024. Okay. And uh, then there's like seven years of tribulation. But then Jesus comes. <laughs> Okay. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. So then Jesus comes mm-hmm. and everything is great again. Okay. And when you look at it that way, you're like, you're like, wait a minute. Hmm. Seven years and then the, just the, f- the next four and then those really crappy seven years. Mm-hmm. I can do that. That's <laughs> not so bad. You know what I mean? It's going to be really crappy. Uh, and the dark Nazi stuff is going to happen to the United States. But, Then Jesus comes. Now, here's the beauty of this. 
because just a few of us are willing to look at this and go, huh, that's a possibility. Or even those who are like, I don't think that's going to happen, but I'd rather hope for that than just the gulag with the Borg, you know, in an SS uniform. (laughs) Because here's the thing. If we actually start to look at it that way, then even if Jesus doesn't come, we're the happy ones in the concentration camp or the gulag. (laughs) And I think that's a win. So your optimistic scenario is essentially we have the nice room at the concentration camp. Oh, no, we have the worst room in the concentration camp, but we're happy. I didn't. We're happy. I shouldn't have overstated the yeah. positivity. Because if one. we just endure yeah, it for no. seven years, we know that the second coming of Jesus will be here and then uh, everything's fine. Yeah, but let's That's say that you're one of those who are like, but well, you, well, wait, now, wait a minute. Uh, let's just <laughs> say that you're one of those who are like, well, I'm not. I don't think I want to put all my eggs in the Jesus is coming back basket. Okay, because they've been doing that for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's good in this scenario, because if the second scenario is what really is going to happen, again, we've changed and we're happy in the gulag. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So to summarize here, if I could, we have uh, scenario one, which is a big group of MLKs are discovered in an archaeological dig of some sort. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Freezers. Maybe Walt Disney. Maybe we defrost him. Okay. Maybe he's the guy. Uh I don't know. Number two, we're slaves Mm. to a Nazi system, but darker, possibly run by animated skeletons. (laughs) I asked out of that last part because it just seemed like it worked. Um, cause I could, uh, it, well, animated mm-hmm. would not be accurate, but audio animatronic, maybe, yes. Well, I'm thinking they're, uh, meaning, uh, not animated as in drawn, but just alive and moving around. They're, this is not, they're, they're not like... Well, that's a little supernatural for me. Um, I'd okay. rather stick to science. Again, we're figuring this out together. So... Mm-hmm. And then yeah, three robot, is... Robot skeletons. Yeah, ro- okay, robot skeletons. And then three is Jesus shows yeah. up in like 15 years, but the Nazi stuff still happens anyway. So your optimistic yeah. scenario is yeah. just the Nazi stuff happens anyway. I mean, the first one's, I guess, right. the most optimistic, but you've pretty much ruled but that Jesus out. But Jesus comes. But Jesus comes, so we just but, have but to the, be, uh, but, but show but some see, endurance, essentially. Right, you, show some, buck up, man. Pull yourself up mm-hmm. by the bootstraps. Just be good to each other. Live, you know, hey, treat others like you want to be treated. You know, that kind of stuff. We could do that for seven years. We could fake our way through that. Uh, and then Jesus comes. But if he doesn't come because we faked it, we actually start to live that way. And when he doesn't show up, sure, some of us are disappointed. Others are like, no, but let's sing a song, you know, on the mm. way to the gallows. And uh, we're like, uh, yeah, that would be really cool. Right. And we're happy about it. You know, uh, I saw the same segment on Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, where <laughs> yeah, they went through the three. Is uh, somebody on to this yeah. theory already? <laughs> already. Oh, uh, oh man. That... So you're a little late. Uh, Brian Kilmeade was all over this one this morning. <laughs> Uh, so was CNN. I was really? Like, yeah, same deal. Yeah, same thing. Really? Yeah. Nazi, did they do yeah. skeletons, though? Uh, they, Let yes. me tell you something. Okay. All of it. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. I think they're all going to be... We're just early on this. I think they're all going to be talking about this <laughs> soon. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Your book 
is life is in the transitions. And this is something I've, I've talked about for a long time. We all have pivot points. And mm-hmm. it's when we choose to reach up uh, and pick ourselves back up uh, at usually the worst point in our life, the world changes and, and for the better. Well, I have to say, Glenn, you were in my mind a lot as I was working on this project because you know, not only have you had a lot of pivot points and, and transitions in your life, but you've also been incredibly open as a public figure in talking about them and sort of helping to model the idea that the old kind of fantasy linear life that we were told where you'd have, you know, low-level job, mid-level job, high-level job, right? You would date and you'd get married. You'd right. have children, you'd go to the, like that, that's gone. Right. And so, you know, you mentioned when we met, and, and you were exactly right, it was more than you know, probably a dozen years ago at, um, at this point, I was working on America's Profit at that time. And you know, Such a good I was having a kind of linear uphill life, and then I just got walloped by life, right? I had the cancer. I almost went bankrupt. And as you know, my book, Life is in the Transitions, that we're talking about now, began, begins with my dad, who has Parkinson's, never depressed a minute in his life in, in Savannah, Georgia, tries to take his own life, actually multiple times in the course of mm. a month. Mm. And so I start this kind of storytelling project with my dad where I send him a question every Monday morning about his life. Like, tell me about the house you grew up with, the toys, the, you know, how'd you become an Eagle Scout? How did you join the Navy? How did you meet mom? And this man who'd never written anything longer than a memo backs into writing an autobiography. And I got incredibly interested, like, how we have to rewrite and rethink our life story. And when I started talking about this, everybody had a story. And I thought, you know what, there's not really a book out there that captures how we get through these life quakes, I call them. These kind of massive changes that sort of descend upon us. So I did what I do. I went on this journey, I crisscrossed the country. I got hundreds of life stories of Americans, all 50 states, like every state in this country, people who lost homes, lost limbs, changed careers. I have uh, military veterans who lost limbs in, in the Middle East. I have, you know, um, alcoholics who got sober, people who got out of bad math, incredible stories of recovery and redemption. And I then spent a year like with a team of 12 people, like looking through, trying to find a toolkit to help all of us as we have to manage these life quakes. And then, oh my gosh, lo and behold, this book (laughs) comes out at a moment when the entire planet (laughs) is going through a life quake at the same time, which is why this book out this week has just sort of exploded out of the gates. It's it's interesting, uh, Bruce, because um, I've been saying, in fact, I just said it last hour, we can... We can look at what's happening to us right now and take it in a negative way and be angry and, and let it destroy us and say that it has destroyed us. Or we can say it's going to put my feet on a different, different path and I don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be good and search for the meaning out of, out of suffering and everything else. And when we honestly do that with an optimistic spirit, um, and a trusting spirit, uh, it, it, it changes everything, everything. Well, I love your idea that we're going into the weekend and we need a bit of positivity. And so here's what I 
what I discovered is that the life quake itself, like the massive change that comes over us, it can be positive. You know, having children is often a life quake. Starting a new venture is a life quake. I have a story in, in my book about you know a, a, a truck driver who became a male nurse. Like People can make these changes, and they are positive, constructive, or they can be negative, right? You can have a diagnosis. You can lose your job. You can lose a loved one. But the transition that comes out of the life quake, that must be voluntary. Like you have to lean in to decide to go through you know, the roadmap I'm going to lay out for you and take the steps to turn that situation, that negativity, into positivity. That's a choice. And in some ways, that's where we can start right now. You have to choose to go through the transition. What is it that you're – everybody lay awake last night or woke up this morning and was wondering, do I have a job? You know, if I have a job, is it the right job? Do I need to quit my job to take care of my children or my grandchildren? You know, it, am I doing something meaningful? Do I have a medical problem? We all have these. Everybody listening to us, the question is, do you want to make the choice to go into the transition and get yourself to a better place? So this is also, it's, I mean, it's deeply personal, but it is the mm-hmm. answer to almost all of the strife that we're feeling right now. Um, not just in COVID, not just in the struggle, but also in the apparent non-forgiveness of sins of the past. Um, if, if, you, if you choose to take the things that have happened in your life um, and, and, and choose to look, um, look at Nelson Mandela and choose and say, okay, those things happen. Now, what do I do? Because I can't change everybody else. What do I do? It is so freeing and so empowering. And it's the message that I think much of America is missing right now. Well, this is why I think, you know, and I wrote it in the Wall Street Journal this week and in the New York Times today, and it's the reason this book is sitting in the top 20 of Amazon right now, is because learning to master life transitions turns out to be the most urgent life skill people have right now, uh, people need right now. And we haven't really talked about transitions. It's not really been in favor. The last kind of big book on this was 50 years ago. And it, it, I sort of been discovering that we have many, life comes at us much faster now. I mean, the good news is we have free them. We can live where we want to live and believe what we want to believe, right? And be in the relationship we want to be in and have the job we want to have. But that's a greater burden on us to kind of make that choice. And so what happens is when you go into the life transition, right, you feel one of two things, either like chaotic and out of control, like I got to do this, I got to do that, or you feel stuck. And you, but I know what you definitely feel, which is I'm the only one going through this. But when you sit, as I did, two, three, four times across from people, you know, I have an army sergeant who uh, had his face blown off in the Taliban on the brink of suicide, who's turned to to poetry and painting and built himself, you know, anew. I have a CIA agent who lost his marriage. I have a two-time cancer survivor who climbed uh, Mount Everest. I have incredible stories of people with addiction who overcame one, one I'm going to tell you in a minute. But when you get into this, it turns out there's kind of a structure. Like, they involve different phases. They're saying goodbye, what I call the long goodbye. You say goodbye to the old you. Then there's this messy middle. Think of the scriptural stories where you have to kind of go into the wilderness where you shed certain habits and create new ones. And then you finally build this new you, and then you have to kind of unveil that to the world. So there are actually steps you can take. And as you know, the second half of Life is in the Transitions has this toolkit for things that you can do. And as my, my wife's I'm chuckling when you were, you know, your question, because my wife was like, you know, don't tell me what you think, Bruce, you know, 
bring me what other people are doing, and that's what this book is. You're going to find people just like you who've been through this, and you're going to find things that they did that will help you almost exactly where you are right now. One of the most amazing things in my journey is, um, and the most clear um, example of it was, or maybe it was just the first example of it, was I was just asking the bigger questions of life. And uh, I read, I began to read Plato uh, for my own search, not because somebody assigned it to me. And I realized uh, I've been asking these questions from the beginning of time. And and you're not alone. You you it, the, these problems and uh, and crosses and solutions have been experienced since the beginning of mankind. And uh, when we can get out of ourselves and look uh, to others currently and to others who have accomplished something uh, in the past life just becomes so much easier and so much more pleasant because you start to notice the people around you who are kind of in the same place and you start talking you're like right i thought it was just me right uh and it's it's really um healthy all right we're gonna continue with bruce filer here in just a second the name of the book is life is in the transitions it's available everywhere transitions mastering change at any age uh bruce filer is his name this is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Maximo Alvarez, president of the Sunshine Gasoline Distributors. He's a Cuban immigrant, uh, and he has been speaking out, and I thought you needed to hear his voice. He's a Cuban immigrant that is warning now that the American dream is under threat. He came here to America when he was 13, and he saw the revolution in Cuba. Maximo, welcome to the program. Thank you, Glenn, and uh, it's an honor. Um, I've always admired um, your way of thinking. I admire you uh, for being one of the few people in the press who really tell our country what is going on um, objectively wow. as possible um, because everybody's afraid to tell the truth, I guess. In the name of being politically correct, uh, everybody's become mm. literally a hypocrite. Yeah. Maximo, I, I, I'm so glad to have you on um, because I've um, one of the things I've I've always had a big fan base of uh, immigrants, especially the immigrants that come from uh, communist countries in the Eastern Bloc or Cuba. Uh, and I think they have the most important voice, and it's not being highlighted. And I got to believe that even though you were young, you remember enough um, of what was happening over in Cuba that it must be a little terrifying for people who came here and have seen communism and Marxism and how it overthrows countries. It must be uh, a frightening deja vu. Glenn, it really goes further than that. Um, I happen to have learned from mom and dad who had to migrate from Spain to Cuba at the turn of the century, running away from communism. So I knew mm. firsthand how difficult and how painful it was for families who were being destroyed for no reason. Uh, families who had nothing to do with politics. Families who had nothing to do with government. Uh, 
It was just hardworking families. So I grew up in that environment, and then sure enough, by the time I'm 11 years old, uh, the same thing happens in Cuba. And, and I remember uh, my dad uh, trying to convince my mom while listening to Castro's words while he was up in the mountains. He used to broadcast uh, uh, radio at night, and you know, shortwave radio. And I remember my dad, and I mentioned this uh, when the president was here, uh, my dad used to tell my mother how he thought that that SOB was a communist. And my mother used to even argue with him and say, how can you say that? You know, he was raised by the Jesuits. He's a Roman Catholic, his entire family. As a matter of fact, the very Catholic Church helped save his life. The very Catholic Church pretty much helped finance his revolution. And, and then I happened to be part of a Catholic Church. My education was all Catholic. And then all of a sudden, my school was taken over. And all of a sudden, the uh, Marys brothers were hiding because they were being persecuted. So they had to go and hide in embassies or leave the country because their life was threatened. These are the very people that helped the Castro regime take over. And, and you know what is really sad? The media. Fidel Castro never took over Batista's regime. Batista left. Batista left December 31st, 1958, at midnight after he celebrated New Year's Eve. And he left because he lost control of the country. And guess what? Guess who actually was one of the biggest factors that Batista lived? The media. They were destroying Batista. And then, a few months later, what happened to the media? What happened to the Diario de la Marina, the Diario del Mundo? This is the equivalent of the New York Times and the Washington Post. What happened to CMQ? That's the equivalent of CNN. There's no free press. And what is amazing is these people in the press do not understand that they will be the first ones out of here. Mm -hmm. But when they find out what they did, it's too late. Way too late. So I had the chance to speak in the panel when President Trump was here. And uh, just told me to tell you a story. And I'm humbled to tell you it's amazing how my little story has impacted so many people. Because I'm telling you, Glenn, my story is just one of many, 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 many millions of people running away from oh, communism, no. looking for the land of the free. And it's amazing. It's amazing that we don't appreciate that. And I remember, and I said it in my speech, and I'll tell you, and this is something <clears throat> that will resonate with me until I die, how my father came from Spain to Cuba at the age of 18, never to go back, work his ass off. And when he's about to enjoy the fruit of his labor, he saw my brother graduate. He had to get sent him because he was in that age that he was going to be indoctrinated. And soon after that, he had to send me out because they had taken over the schools. And I remember 
when he finally gets over here, and he tells us, this is a man of a sixth grade education. This is not a philosopher. He didn't go to Harvard. He didn't go to Yale. But a very wise man who used to tell us how lucky he was because he was able to go from Spain to Cuba and to Cuba to America. And he said, don't lose this place because you're not going to be as lucky. So this is what I'm trying to warn. And I'm amazed that that little story, which is only one of many millions of stories, has been so positive, has gone viral. And, and I'm humbled to know that I'm pretty sure it has helped quite a few people understand what the reality is. So, Maxwell, first of all, thank you for sharing that, especially about your dad. I, that's got to be a painful uh, memory. Um, the uh, you you said that your mom looked at Castro and said, "How dare you could say he's a communist?" So it, it's the same. Is it the same thing every time where people are just duped and they believe that this time it is different uh, and these aren't the monsters that rule at night? Glenn, this is the same old story. It doesn't change. We need to explain to people that the communist philosophy is based on the fact that the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. On, on our side, we have the Judeo-Christian values. We cannot steal, we cannot lie, we cannot kill. We gotta honor mom and dad, we gotta honor God. We gotta respect people. And on top of that, we have to forgive our enemy. Now on the other side, they will do whatever is necessary to accomplish their objective. If they have to tell you they're Catholics or they have to tell you they belong to certain religion, they will. If they have to kill you, they will. They have. Just look at history. Look exactly what happened in Cuba. No one would have ever imagined that Fidel Castro was a communist. No one. If you look at the, just go on the library, any of the books, any of the history books, where they have these pictures coming down from the mountains, every rebel, everyone had a rosary hanging from their necks. And he always claimed that he was, as I said, Catholic, Apostolico, Romano, that's Roman Catholic. He was educated by the Jesuits. And it was not mm -hmm. until two years after he had taken over power that he declares that he's a Marxist. And if you look at, and if you have read the book by Saul Alinsky, if you see what mm -hmm. is happening, that's exactly what is happening in every of this country. That's what's happening in our backyard today. That's what happened in Cuba. That's what happened in Venezuela. That's what happened in Nicaragua. Make sure that so everybody... What is, what is... Go ahead. What is everybody, what, is, what are the Cuban refugees, what are the Cuban families uh, feeling, and, and how can they help? Is there any movement in those families to come together and to form a block and speak out? Because I think they could be a real powerful force. Here, here's the problem, uh, Glenn. 
I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm not an expert in the matter, okay, because I don't have the numbers or the statistics. But if you look at the wave of Cubans who come over right after Castro take over, uh, we came here with a shirt we wore on our back. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm an original member of the Peter Pan group. Uh, those are the kids who came with our parents, over 14,000 of us. Um, if you look at, and I know this for a fact, uh, as a group of 14,000, we have done very, very well. Um, but what happened is after that, you go through the years. Fidel Castro has more people infiltrated in our community than you can even imagine. Fidel Castro has a very, very big, sophisticated intelligence machine. Those people killing young people in Venezuela are not Venezuelan students. They're Cubans. Those people killing Nicaraguans where their students were demonstrated, they were not Nicaraguans. They were Cubans. Because Fidel Castro exported terrorism the minute that he took over Cuba. I remember the word terrorism wasn't used. It used to be guerra de guerrillas. That was guerrilla warfare. Mm -hmm. One person can create enough fear that will destroy the economy. That means, for example, you cannot go to a theater, you cannot go to a restaurant, because all of a sudden a bomb will explode. And it gets so far out of hand that people are afraid to go out. The government says, you're not protected after 6 o'clock in the evening, so better stay home. And what happens to our economy? Capitalism and fear are not synonyms. You cannot be a capitalistic economy with fear. With fear. And this is what yeah. is, that's why it's called terrorism. Look what is happening today. And, and our, our own governors, mayors, this, this is amazing. I see the guy in New York painting the street. Mm -hmm. and, and all they do is use people to create dissension, to create hatred. And that's what they do. They and are, he, are the and that and that mayor class that, right. And that uh, uh, that that mayor happens to be uh, a guy who loves uh, Castro's uh, Cuba. Yeah. Um, I've got to run, but I want to ask you one one more qu question. Do you worry about a boycott from the left, like they did uh, to the Goya Foods CEO for his support of Trump? Glenn, um, let me tell you. Um, been here now since 1961. I have done a lot better than I expected to do. If I die or I lose everything for this country, I will be here probably. So, no, I have no fear. And I'm telling you what they have done to Goya is the best thing because I'm telling you Goya is now going to double their business because they have provided them with great free publicity because Goya Foods is a very great product. The owners of that company have been very, very generous for many, many years. And people yep. who know that will help them and endorse them much more than ever before. So, no. Maximo no. Alvarez, 
don't don't ever give up yourself. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sorry to to uh, cut this off, but uh, I've got a network break. But Maximo, thank you. He's the president of Sunshine Gasoline Distributors. Uh, you, his website is sunshinegasoline.com. Uh, and I appreciate the uh, perspective coming from you and what you said with uh, the president the other day. Na, 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 na.